0: So we're going to read this morning from Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through to 13. If you have your Bibles here, you can turn through to those uh, verses. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disi- uh, disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut. it will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord.
1: And most of you will know that we've, uh, we've dedicated 2023 to being a year of prayer for our church. Um, so you'll probably not be able to count the amount of times you've heard me say this, but we want to be a people that believe Jesus when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we want to be a church that believes that, that the Christian life is a life of total dependence on God. And that, that we're wanting to learn again that our first work in our lives in God's kingdom, both personally and corporately, is prayer, right? That's what we saw last week with Mary and Martha, right? And the first work in our lives is sitting at the feet of Jesus and being with Him and listening to Him and, and worshiping Him. Uh, there's, there, there's a lot of good things to do in the kingdom. There's a lot of work, right? There's a lot of good gospel activity for us to do and we should do, but our first work is Prayer. Um, so really, we're, this year, we're asking the same question that this disciple asks Jesus at the beginning of chapter 11. Lord, teach us to pray. Um, have you ever, um, do you have anyone in your life that when you just observe their walk with the Lord, you think, I want what they have? Do you have anyone like that? Um, someone that you observe and you, you think, um, I want what they have. They, they just seem to have such an authentic uh, relationship with God. They have, they have such an intimate, joyful, uh, satisfied relationship with the Lord, and you want to taste what they are experiencing. Um, I'm, be thankful for those kinds of people in your life. and That's what's going on at the beginning of, of chapter 11 here, but to an even greater degree. Um, what the disciples observed in the life of Jesus was something different. Um, they, they saw something that they had never seen before, and they wanted a taste of it. Like, I'm sure they had men and women in their lives that uh, had a, 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 a relationship with God, but they'd never seen this level of dependence that they had seen in, in the life of Jesus. They, they, they'd seen Him rise and go out early in the mornings and, uh, and, and pray and be among the hills, and when He would come back, it was so clear, His communion with the Lord it was so clear he had been in communion with his father, and they, they found this so wonderfully attractive, uh, and, and they wanted a taste of it themselves. They're saying, Jesus, you, you have something that we've never experienced before. You have something we've never even seen before. You have an authentic, intimate relationship with God, and it just spills out in every part of his life, and we want that. Okay, can you teach us what it is that you do? If you notice the, the question, isn't Lord teach us how to pray? A, that's a good question. Okay, it's, it's important to learn how to pray, and Jesus does teach them how to pray in a sense. But, but they're, they're not saying, Lord teach us how to pray. They're not really after the theory of prayer here. Um, because you can have the theory and still not pray, right? L- lots of people know how to pray and they still don't. So, so they're asking, Lord, teach us to be a praying people. H- how do we get to the point in our lives where we're actually praying? How do we make it our first instinct in every situation? And that's the question, isn't it? That, 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 that's what we're asking the Lord to do in us this year. And so I'm, sh- I'm not sure if you have noticed or not, but we haven't spent a whole lot of time on, on methods of prayer, right? Or, or, or barriers to prayer or techniques of prayer. Although these things are important. I love talking about them. But that hasn't been our main focus. We're, we're making our request as simple as this this year. Just give us the desire, Right? Would you just bring us to the point where we're actually praying? Just make us to be a praying people. Teach us to pray. Make prayer foundational in our lives as your people. Because when you read the Bible, Old Testament and New, that's exactly what you see. You don't see that prayer is kind of optional in God's kingdom. It's foundational. It's essential. They just pray. That's what God's people are. They cry out to the Lord. Um, Prayer isn't a gift that some Christians have. Oh, those people just, he just has the gift of prayer. That's nonsense. Never believe that, okay? Saying that that some people in this room have the gift of prayer is like saying some people in this room have the gift of breathing, (laughs) right? No, prayer is just foundational to being a genuine child of God, just as much as prayer is foundational to being a living human being. And we see Jesus being the ultimate example of that. Us, right? Prayer is just foundational to his life as the Son of God. He's just always praying. He's the most dependent person who ever lived. He, he was completely dependent on his Heavenly Father and everything that he did. In fact, Jesus spoke of that dependence in a pretty striking way. In John five nineteen. he said, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what, the, what he sees the Father doing. That's pretty... That's pretty an astonishing statement from, for Jesus to make, right? Because we've seen him do some incredible things that proves that he is God in the flesh. He's casting out demons. He's calming storms. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. But he does not find his identity in the powerful things that he can do. He finds his identity solely in who his father is. And so he's always praying. He's always in communication with his father, right? He's, he's not only praying when he's in trouble, although he does when he is. He's not only praying when life is really hard, although He does when life is hard. He's not only praying when He's in need, although He does when He is. He's just always praying. He's always communing with the Father, simply to know Him and to enjoy His presence. And His disciples, they see this in Him. In verse 1, now Jesus is praying again in a certain place, and when He is finished, one of His disciples said to Him, "'Lord, teach us to pray.' as John taught his disciples, it was common for a rabbi to give his disciples a, a piece of liturgy that would act as a, something that they would pray together, right? So it's, it's not just a private prayer, although it can be and it should shape our, our private and our communal prayers, but it's, it's primarily a communal prayer, right? Notice all the plurals through the prayer, give us, forgive us, lead us. And when Jesus says, when you pray, that's a, that's a plural you, it's, it's when yous. When, when you guys pray, so they, they pray together. And so what happens when, G, when, when they ask Jesus to teach them to pray? Well, he does, <laughs> straight away, okay? There are times in life when God answers our prayers with a no, doesn't he? There are times when he answers our prayers with a not yet. But but this is one of those prayers that he will always answer with a resounding yes. Lord, would you teach us to pray? He's like, okay, immediately I will. He answers their request immediately because this is precisely why he's come to earth in the first place, right? Jesus came to make a way for us to be in right relationship with God. Jesus came to, to, to bring us into relationship with the Father, and he, he accomplishes that fully in His sacrifice on the cross, but to bring us into that kind of relationship, right, that, that, kind, that life of total dependence on God and submission to, to His desires, to His will, that, that's the sole reason Christ came to earth. And so obviously He responds to their request to teach them to pray immediately, and for us, in our request, Lord teach us to pray. We must pay close attention to this passage because his answer to his disciples is his answer to us as well. And we could, we could spend weeks in, in a series on the Lord's Prayer. Maybe we will sometime. But this morning, we're just going to break it up into three parts. Uh, firstly, in verses one to four, he teaches them what to say when they pray. Uh, verses five to eight, he teaches them how to approach God in prayer, how, how they are to come to the Lord. And then lastly, in verses 9 to 13, he teaches them what to expect when they pray or, or why you should pray. So, so what to pray, how to pray, and why pray. So they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And in verse 2, he looks at them and he says, when you pray, say this. Before we look at say when we pray, we must see that, that prayer does involve us saying things. And prayer involves us opening our mouth and, and speaking to the Lord. Prayer isn't always us opening our mouth and speaking, is it? We we must learn to, to listen. And someone once said that prayer is a conversation with God that He started. So, so it, it, it's it, it's a conversation that, that, that He speaks up and, and we listen. There's a time in our conversations with God where, where we shut up, right? Be still. Be quiet, know that I am the Lord. There's silence and solitude in prayer. We must listen to him speak. That's most important. And he speaks to us definitively in his word, this word that he breathed out. And that's where we hear him speak most clearly and authoritatively and definitively. In every other way that we hear him speak, we must make sure that it comes aligned with his word. But we must listen to him speak but that's not all the prayer is. The, the goal of prayer is not just mm, before the Lord, right? The, the, the goal is to have a relationship with God. That's what He wants with you, which involves listening to Him and speaking to Him. That, that's what a loving relationship looks like. To never speak in prayer is like saying wedding vows and then never speaking to your spouse again. That, that's not a real loving relationship, is there an aspect to a real loving relationship where you're, you're happy to be silent in their presence and just enjoy them? Absolutely. And there's, there's part of that aspect to prayer as well. But prayer is also us communicating to God. Jesus is inviting us into a loving relationship with God. And just over the last couple chapters of Luke, we've seen him drawing his disciples close and 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 revealing his glory to them, and he's, he's increasing their faith, but he, but he wants that faith to result in an intimate, loving, back and forth relationship with God. That's the point of it. Tim Keller wrote in his book on prayer that by the Spirit, prayer is faith made audible. I love that. By, by, by the Spirit, so so even in prayer it's God at work, but, but prayer is faith made audible. Prayer involves opening your mouth and speaking to God. And so Jesus says, when you pray, say. And what's the first thing He tells us to say? Father. Right? So, so this is what to say when you pray. And He says, when you're praying to the God of heaven, say, Father. As I said, Jesus has come to earth to invite us into a loving relationship with God. And so he says, when you pray, say, Father, because through me, through what I'm going to accomplish in Jerusalem on the cross, through that, through me, you're invited into that kind of relationship with God. The disciples must have heard Jesus praying many times, and so they, they heard him pray to God, the Father. They knew they'd never seen that kind of relationship before. But right here, Jesus is saying, he's your father too. What I have with him, you can have with him. Abraham Lincoln is widely considered to be one of the greatest American presidents. Um, I'm sure you'll know he led the country through one of their greatest times of turmoil, the American Civil War, um, which was a bloody war. Uh, An estimated three-quarters of a million soldiers died in that war, uh, making it the deadliest military conflict in American history. Um, And there's a story about a particular soldier who was desperate to receive compassionate leave from his post to go home and visit a dying parent, but he wasn't getting an answer for his request. And he was in the D.C. area, and he decided to go straight to the top, and he went to the White House to see the president, um, which obviously turned out to be impossible. And so he went away to a nearby park, and he wept. And apparently a small boy came up, and he, he said, why are you weeping? What's, what's, why are you so miserable? And the man told him his story. And the kid looked at him and he said, Come with me. And he, and he led the man back to the gates of the White House and in through the front door and through the corridors and straight into the president's office. And Abraham Lincoln looked up from his desk and said, What can I do for you, Todd? And Todd replied, Father, there's a man here who would like to speak to you. And that's exactly what's happening here in Luke 11. That the son by nature shares with us, sons and daughters by adoption, his access to the Father. Father, there's someone who would like to speak to you. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. Hebrews 4 speaks of Jesus being our great high priest Because we have this great high priest, we can confidently draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. Romans 8 says, We have been given the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't this incredible? Because of Jesus, God is not a force to be reckoned with, He's not an idea that I contemplate, He's not an experience that I feel. He's a person whom I relate to as Father. Jesus gives us access to the Father as his very children. And he says, Say, Father, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. So, so it's important to understand yes, he's your Father, but it's also important to understand that he's, he's not just your buddy, right? He's the God of the universe. He's he's holy, he's unapproachable in his holiness in some sense, yet we can humbly and boldly approach him as our father. Both of those aspects of the relationship are incredibly important to understand. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying two things. We're, we're, We're declaring God's holiness, this is who we are approaching, but we're also requesting that the name of God will be recognized and considered holy by everyone on earth. It's a prayer that says, God, make the world honor your name as holy. And, and as the, the God of the universe, he's, that we know as Father, he's over everything. He's the ruler of all, and so we pray, your kingdom come. So Jesus teaches us as, as children of God who our Father is. He's God Almighty, the Holy One, and in his family, we are not the center of, his, of, of attention, So Jesus teaches us to to center our prayers on who God is and on his purposes. Matthew's version of the prayer expands to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we approach our Father and rightfully ask him for things, because that's part of what prayer is, we pray for what we need to come into alignment with his purposes and with his desires. His will be done. Does that mean that we suppress all of our desires and all of our wants? Like, it doesn't really matter what you're feeling because it's all about him. It doesn't really matter what, 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 what you want. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Far from it, right? That's not what I want from my kids. That's not the relationship that I want. I, I, I care about what they feel. I care about what they want, I want them to be honest with me, be completely honest. That's that's a rule we made in our house. Number one rule in our house is you have to be completely honest. Why? Because because I love them, because I'm their dad, because I care about them. So, So how much more do you think our perfect heavenly father cares about what his children want? He invites us to be brutally honest as children are, but he also asks us to trust him. And Jesus is is our perfect example of what that looks like in real life. We'll, We'll see when we get to Luke 22, the night of his crucifixion, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. That's a bold prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right With that prayer, Jesus shows us that we can be completely honest with the Lord completely honest with our Father, he, he boldly asks him, Father, if there's another way, let's do that. Remove this cup from me. But he also shows us what submission to the Father's will looks like. Not my will, but yours be done. I'll I, I trust what, that, that you know what's best. i, I trust that, that you have a plan, that you're working out that is good. And, and, and in that situation, the Father uses Jesus' submission to bring salvation to the world, good choice. Amazing. So, so in prayer, we come to God Almighty in all of His holiness, and we, we come to Him with our requests. But before we ask anything, Jesus says, make God's glory and make God's fame your highest priority. Center your prayers, this first section, on who God is and on His purposes, right? Begin your prayers with praise and adoration, after that, after having established God's character and his authority, Jesus then turns to requests, right? Because that's part of what prayer is. In verse 3, we're to pray, give us each day our daily bread. And there's kind of scholarly debate over what daily means there. Is it, is it today's bread? Is it tomorrow's bread? Is it bread for what, we, for, for what is necessary? And we're not going to get into to that this morning. All I want you to see this morning is that this is a prayer for provision, Okay, it's, this is a prayer that is recognizing that God knows your needs, that, that, that God is the provider of your needs. Father, will you provide us with what we need? Everything we need comes from you. That, that word bread, it, it, it's all encompassing of our, of our necessities, of, of the food and clothes and, shol- and shelter, the, the necessities of life. Again, this is, this is total dependence on God for everything in our lives. Coming to him... For our every need. It's the first request, for provision. The second request is forgiveness of sins. Verse 4, and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Right? So, hallelujah, God forgives us of our sins. Right? Amen? Is anyone excited about the forgiveness of your sins? That's incredible. Let's just, let's just go home now. That's incredible. Because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus crucified on your behalf, your forgiveness of your sins. But this isn't just a request for the forgiveness of our sins. It's also a call to be a gospel-shaped people. How, how, can, how can we ask from God what we are not willing to give to others? Right? We must be a gospel-shaped people. We, we must be ready and willing to extend the grace and the forgiveness that God shows to us when we sin against Him to others when they sin against us. It's a, it's a prayer, not just for forgiveness from God, but also a prayer for a forgiving heart ourselves. The last request is for protection and deliverance. Again, Matthew's version said, includes, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, this is the tricky one, isn't it? Be careful not to misunderstand this. He's, he's not, Jesus isn't saying, make sure you pray that because sometimes God will tempt you into evil, Right? <laughs> That James 1:13 says the opposite: that God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. We we learn from the beginning of the prayer that that He is holy; he's, He's incapable of ever enticing you into sin. Rather, He calls you to flee sin. He calls you to to come out of the darkness into the light. That that word temptation there in the Greek it means temptation or testing. It's a trial of some sort. So the meaning here most likely carries the sense, allow us to be spared from difficult circumstances that would tempt us to sin. This, is, this part, is, it's, it's a prayer for dependence on God as we recognize the power of our sinful flesh because each of us has a powerful fleshly desire that we were born with that needs to be put to death, Right? It's a a battle that rages within, and so this final request is one for help from the one who has the power to defeat sin. It's a request for protection around us, not not just from the world and and the flesh and the devil, but but also from ourselves, from from our own evil inclinations. It's a recognition that there is evil and good in this world, that there is an enemy. may, May God deliver us from Satan. The one who goes about lying and roaring and seeking whom he might devour. The one who disguises himself as an angel of light that he may deceive us and accuse us and bring us into despair and into ruin. There's darkness and there is light. And this prayer is a recognition that we have an inclination towards the darkness. And only God can deliver us from the darkness and bring us into the light. Do you see the theme of dependence on God through the entire prayer? That's the main theme through the prayer. You want to learn to pray? Learn to be totally dependent on God. You can sum up the entire Lord's prayer as dependence on God and submission to His desires. That's what we are to pray. That's what we are to live out. You want to be people that praise? Well, you need to know who God is. He's not some far-off power in the sky. He's a God who invites you close. He's a God who gives you identity and identity as sons and daughters to God in heaven through Jesus, and, and you can know him as father, you can address him as father, and you can come to him, even though he's holy, even though he has purposes that are unchanging and perfect and good, but he wants us to come to him with our every need. But he wants us to center our requests on who he is, on what he is doing, because he knows what's best and because he is good. Do you, do you see how the prayer makes us more like Jesus? Right. If it, it brings us into a life of total dependence on God, if Jesus says, "I do nothing on my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing," well, this prayer he invites us into that way of living. He's saying, "Here's a prayer that will help you to live that way as well—a life of dependence on God and submission to His good and holy desires." The prayer as a whole, it recognizes dependence on God and His care. It, it's, it recognizes that, that God's presence is absolutely necessary. It was necessary in the life of Jesus. How much more will it be for us? And, and He invites us into that truth ourselves. You see, what the prayer does is it bonds God with a disciple. You, you have two options in life. Either to walk alone or to walk hand in hand with God. Those are the only two options. And and only one of them leads to everlasting life. And so he says, when you pray, say these things. These things should shape your prayers. So he starts out by teaching us what to say. And then in verses 5 to 8, he teaches us not only what to pray, but but how to pray or how to approach God in prayer. And he does that by telling a parable. I'm not going to spend too much time uh, unpacking the parable um, mainly because I already I already have. So if you if you remember that we preached uh, Luke chapter eighteen, the parable of the persistent widow, which is a parable about his disciples should always pray and not lose heart. And that parable uh, it, it, it mirrors this parable. You can go back and listen to that from October. And um, this parable is it's the exact same as the as the persistent widow. But it's this man who knocks on his neighbor's door in the middle of the night. Um, both of those parables teach us how we are to approach God in prayer. So very briefly, in just a couple minutes, in verse 5, Jesus tells a parable about a man who goes to his friend in the middle of the night and he knocks on their door, waking up the entire household to request from his friend to lend him three loaves of bread because he has a, a friend arriving from a journey and he has nothing to give him. And, and, and Jesus puts it in this way. He, he says, hey, you're probably going to expect this result that, that the man will say, go away. Okay, my door's closed, I don't have anything, my family's sleeping, I can't give you anything, right? Except there's a twist in the expectations, in the parable. And Jesus says, well, actually the guy will get up. Not because he's his friend, but because of his impudence. He will get up and give him whatever he needs. Right, so he will get up and give him whatever he needs because of the bold shamelessness of the man's request. The, The guy is desperate, right he he is a host who has no food for his guests which is a major no-no in this middle eastern culture of hospitality so he he shamelessly walks to his friend's house and wakes up his entire household in the middle of the night and he boldly asks not just for a loaf of bread but for three loaves of bread which was kind of insane okay that you'd bake bread fresh at the start of the day that's your daily bread and here he's going and he's expecting this guy to have three loaves of extra, extra leftover bread. It'd be like me going to Laura's house and saying, hey, do, 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 middle of the night, do you have like a liter of milk I can borrow and um, some bacon and maybe a dozen eggs and some tea bags? Like, no, why would I have that? Such a bold request. And Jesus is saying that's exactly how you should be approaching God in prayer desperately and shamelessly and boldly and persistently, asking, seeking, knocking and expectantly. We should have gall in our prayers. Do you have gall in your prayers? Why? Why should we have nerve in our approach to God in prayer? Well, Jesus tells us exactly why in the last section in verses 9 to 13. He tells us why we should pray or what to expect when we pray this way. Let's read it one last time. Verse 9 says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And he tells another little parable. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Okay, the answer is meant to be obvious. And then he says in verse 13, 13 well, well, if you then, who are evil, know how to give gifts to, good give gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, have you noticed this little theme? Jesus is, is making it clear of our relationship with God, right? We, we, we relate to Him as our Heavenly Father. We, we are to come to Him as His children with, with these requests, and we, we come to Him as children, come to Him, uh, boldly, shamelessly, persistently, asking, seeking, knocking. And so if the question is, is, why come to Him in that way? Why ask boldly and shamelessly and persistently? If you let me paraphrase that last section, it's like Jesus answers that with a question of His own, and He says, well, don't you know who your Father is? If you, if you knew who your father is, you would never stop asking and seeking and knocking. If you knew who you were approaching, if you, if you knew who your father is, your, your prayers would become all the more bold and shameless and persistent. Listen, he's not like your earthly fathers, which are sometimes pretty crappy, right? And most of the time, pretty good. But even compared to the good ones, He's perfect. He's so far better than them. He knows your every need. He delights in meeting your every need. So why should you pray boldly and shamelessly? Well, because of who your Father is. That's why. Just as we end, notice... Notice what Jesus says about the response of our perfect heavenly father. He says, how much more will will he, this this father who has no evil within him, this father who is holy and, and perfect in his love, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Just, just as we end, I want you to see how the response of the Heavenly Father here is connected to what the disciples are asking Jesus for in the first place. But back in verse 1, what do they see in Jesus? They, they see someone who has a perfect relationship with God, they see someone who walks perfectly in step with the Father, perfect obedience perfect submission to God's will, a a perfect and and joyous relationship with God, always communing with God. And they want that. They they want that kind of dependence on God. They're after that kind of intimacy with the Father. They're after ultimately the presence of God in their ordinary, messed up, failing lives. And here in the end, Jesus says, for those of you who desire those things, God won't just meet your needs, He'll come right into your life. He doesn't just give you the physical things that you ask for, He gives you His very presence. And you've only got to ask Him. What do we request in our prayers to God for for provision, for forgiveness, for these gospel-shaped hearts and actions in our lives, for Him to lead us away from evil, away from darkness into the light. And how will He do those things? By giving you His very presence in in your life. He says, "I'll, I'll answer those requests by coming and living in you. Isn't that incredible? Don't you want that? Isn't that spectacular? That this is no ordinary father. This is our heavenly father who promises his very presence with his children. And do you see friends how this is all pointing to the cross of Jesus? That this is pointing forward to what Jesus will accomplish in Jerusalem. In John's gospel, Uh, It's my favorite section of of the Bible. We get get a sneak peek into this dinner that Jesus is having with his disciples, this conversation where he's preparing them for what's about to happen, right? And, And after he leaves that supper, he'll go and be crucified. And then he'll rise from the dead three days later. And then he'll eventually ascend to the Father, the right hand of the Father, where he'll remain until he comes again. It's where he is now. But in John 14... As he readies them for his departure, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to to leave and, and, and have you fend for yourselves until I come again. No, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another helper, a friend who will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And when he comes to dwell in you, I'll be with you forever. I, you'll have my spirit to guide you, to teach you, to help you along the way. And that's what they're after, isn't it? They're after the guidance of God. They're after the presence of God in their ordinary, messy lives. They want this kind of relationship with God that Jesus had, this kind of unity with God. And Jesus tells them in John fourteen I'm going away and I will come to you. I'm going away, that's referring to the cross, His death, his resurrection, his his ascension to heaven, I'm going away and I'll come to you. What's he referred to there? The sending of the Holy Spirit, the the, the very presence of God in our lives. But first, Jesus must die. First, there's a price to be paid, there's sin to be dealt with, and Jesus pays that price for us. He he, he does that work and then he sends his spirit to abide in us. And what's most incomprehensible about this whole arrangement is Jesus says, if you want that, all you have to do is ask for it. There's there's nothing you have to do to receive this unbelievable gift. There's nothing that, that you pay. He does it all. He pays it all. There's there's no work for you to earn this gift. You just have to trust him. He just wants your faith. You just have to ask. Asking, it takes humility, doesn't it? We don't like humility. (laughs) It, It takes recognizing your neediness of God's grace and mercy. It takes coming to terms with your need of God and your dependence on him. Submitting to his desires, to his will, saying, not my will, but yours be done. It's a place of humility and weakness. But what a gift. His very presence in your life. Let's pray. Lord, will you teach us to pray? And would you... Would you help us to understand who our Father is? Would you teach us what it means to relate to Him? To depend on Him, not just when life is hard, but every second of every day. Total dependence on our Heavenly Father. Would you give us a desire to see your kingdom come instead of building our own? Lord, thank you for meeting our every need. Thank you for making a way for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for leading us in our lives. Would you teach us to listen to you and follow you? Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, your very presence in our ordinary, messy, failing lives. Would you help us to be aware of your presence and to abide with you and enjoy you? In Jesus' name, amen.